Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. From one fellow worn-out woman to another, I feel really lucky to have you here and I know that all of our book club actually you should read about we were just like we were talking we had a live event with them last night and they nearly fell off their chairs when I told them that we were interviewing you so (laughs) you're such a beloved author by by our whole book club and by obviously the world so firstly congratulations on the book book thank you and it's raging success how are you doing how are you feeling does it feel surreal Ah, yeah, I think that's the best word for it. I kept looking up synonyms for surreal, and I think I came up with like phantasmagoric, and my husband was like, you can't use that. He's like, you cannot say that word. And it's like, okay. So I just stuck with surreal. It's real. It's, it is, it's the most surreal experience ever. And it's so funny because I feel like life hasn't slowed down enough for me to, to grasp it. Like even now I'm in a hotel room because I'm on deadline for my next contemporary book. Oh my and so, god! I know, and so it just it just never slows, never slows down. Like, have you taken a beat at all? Where are you? Where are you in the whole production of, of the whole series and and everything? Really? Well, so I write um, I write Empyrean, of course, and then I write contemporary romance, and I just kind of flip flop as to which one I'm writing because I think it's super important for me to one keep my romance base and two writing romance, especially after coming out of Empyrean, is like, you don't, you don't have the external conflicts, right? You have to focus on character-driven stories. There's no dragons to come in and spur action or anything like that. So <laughs> I think it really helps me to write contemporary romance in between going in between the Empyrean books because I've been focusing on character-driven stories. So I go back in there with yeah. it. Um, I've written the first two, of course, they're out. The rest of them are all plotted. I will finish this contemporary book uh, by the end of next week. I better oh, at least. And then I will go into plotting book three and I'll, I'll start writing it probably the week after Christmas. I'm in shock. <laughs> How does it, is that a very natural process for you? Because I mean, you've leapt really seamlessly into one of our big questions, a big one of our like in questions for you was around, you know, you've become quite famous for this very intricate plot planning process. And I wanted to know if you could talk to us a little bit about that and and what that's actually physically like. Are you in a room with a big cork board and like, I'm imagining it like a CSI investigator kind of trying to solve a murder. I do. I look like a a conspiracy theorist when I plot. (laughs) Um, And it's so funny because while I'm writing this book, which is contemporary, I have book three in the back of my head. And while we were traveling in Europe, you know, I would see certain things and it would inspire like, oh, this would be really cool or the architecture here or how this goes here. And then I'm traveling somewhere else and I see a map display and I'm like, oh, that really fits in. And so all these scenes kind of are percolating in the back of my head while I'm writing my contemporary. And then I will sit down 
with like a bunch of index cards and I'll write down every scene that has spoken to me, like every scene that I've daydreamed about or just has come to me in this and I'll write them all down and I just have this hodgepodge of scenes. So I basically, I put all the cards in order. Like after I have them out, I put them all in order. It's like how I think the plot moves. And then, and then I take all of these sticky notes and because I'm working right now, I can show them to you. I take all these sticky notes. I know in different colors and I draw the act structure out on a four by six whiteboard in my office. And then I take those scenes that I've put in order with um, the index cards and I start writing the details down about what is romance oriented, what is plot driven, what is action driven, and where are the Easter eggs that will come to fruition either in this book or in later books in the series. And they're all different colors. So when you walk in, there's a giant like plot arc in my office and just like a rainbow of colors. And I do it in colors so that when I step back and I, so I don't hyper-focus on one section, I can really see where the gaps are. So I can see yeah. this section doesn't have enough romance. This section doesn't have enough action. We're not moving the plot here. We've gotten sidetracked here. So I do all of that. And then I start writing and just really hope that the characters stay on task. <laughs> they do what they're being paid to do. I really hope they do. I get sidetracked a lot, especially when I'm with like um, when I'm with Violet and Rihanna and and, um, and Riddick and Sawyer. I get really sidetracked into their conversations. Yeah, I bet. I was about to say it's like you're channeling them. <laughs> it, it's it's like they're people to me, and they're just hanging out, and I'm just kind of writing down what they do. But sometimes I'm like, back on task, guys. Back on task. Stop joking around. You know, we're like we're wasting pages here. <laughs> Especially when you have something that's as long as like Iron Flame and you're like, oh my gosh, you guys have to get back to the point. But <laughs> Hurry up and make out. We've got to shift the scene along. I know. I'm like, stop, stop it. Stop choking around. Um, but yeah, so that's how I plot everything out. And then uh, my husband is lovely enough to come into my office and he'll kind of like read. I'll go chapter one and he'll read it to me and then I'll put it into an Excel document. So that... What? Yeah. So that when an I'm away... Excel doc. Yeah. Because... I like the lines. <laughs> I like the lines. Very I, li- I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a weirdo. Um, I like that like one column is for the date and, you know, where are we in the timeline and where are we in geography and how long did it take to get there and does this match up? And if I said yeah. they were going to be apart for seven days, were they apart for seven days or were they apart for eight and what day is it on the calendar? And that way I can reference that doc wherever I am. So if I'm writing at a hockey oh. tournament, because my, my boys play hockey, or if I'm, you know in the pickup line at school or uh, if I'm at a hotel to get away from the general chaos of my house, I have it all in one doc. This is incredible because if there are, <laughs> if there's any audience that are going to pull you up on plot inconsistencies or misuse of time, it is a super mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. This is incredible. I'm, I'm like still mentally processing this. How do you find, do you find it a very solitary experience or do you feel quite absorbed in the world as you're building it? Um, I mean, it's solitary in the fact that it's just me and my playlist and I pace a lot like in my in my office downstairs and my kids will know because either the doors to my office are closed and the music's going or I'm pacing around my house in this like giant circle with headphones on just like staring, you know, at the floor. What's your music? Um, it depends on the it, it depends on the book. So before I start plotting a book, I always I always start a playlist and that playlist is kind of like it captures the feelings I have for that book. So a lot of fourth wing I wrote to like Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince by Taylor Swift. I wrote a lot to Halsey, 
like a ton of nightmare, wow. a ton wow. of control and everything else, like the Badlands album. Um, I'm obsessed. I, I love Halsey. I love her. Um, so it, it, I just listen to that and I kind of walk around and I'm alone in that world. But at the same point, if I get stuck, I can always call my editor or things like that. I think the writing and drafting process is very solitary. And then the editing process is very collaborative. collaborative. Very, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, you, you have to. You have to go in there with your editor because I trust. I have to trust my editor to pull me back or trust my editor to say, hey, this doesn't work or trust my editor to catch those inconsistencies because yeah. I am not perfect. So um, you have to have a lot of, of trust in your editing staff. Um, your popularity would argue otherwise, but that's such a fascinating process. And I think of course, the worlds you build are so absorbing. Sometimes I imagine it just being so nice to have someone pull out a little bit and say like, okay, like Zayden's been with Violet for like 79 pages. Do you reckon we should change it up? So that's an amazing collaborative process you have with your editor as well. Something that we were thinking about while reading this is like who you were thinking your audience was as you were writing this book. Like obviously it's been so wildly popular and like why, why do you think that is and, and who do you think your audience is? Um, one, I have, I have no idea why it's so wildly popular. <laughs> I, um, it, is, it was the shock I think of my life because – and I think I've, I've probably told this story a lot but – when I auditioned for Red Tower, you know, I just went in with pitches and I think Fourth Wing was like the third pitch. Mm. And my editor was like, that one, that's the one we should write. And I was like, okay, we're going with dragons. And it just kind (laughs) of, it it took off in a way that um, I hadn't expected. So I I wrote that whole summer and then um, I just felt like it was going to hopefully be enough to keep me writing one book a year, that it would be successful enough that it would keep me in print. That's all I thought would happen. And then next thing you know, the TV show kind of came on board and that went to auction. And and then my editor just kept saying, this is the big one. This is the big one. And because I've been published for 10 years, I'm like, yeah, okay, right. Because (laughs) it's what everyone says about them all. Yeah. Yes. Every time you write a book, someone's like, this is the book. And it's not the book or it's good book, but it's not like the book. And then next thing I know, it is, it is everywhere. And I'm getting recognized, you know, at, at the doctor's office or things like that. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Um, my audience, I don't, I don't know. I primarily, I will happily admit that I write primarily for women, right? Because I write primarily in romance and, and fantasy and romance. And so I would guess that's my audience, but I've been so humbled to see how many people come out and said, you know, they they read it for the chronic illness rep. I love seeing the husband and husbands and wives that are reading it together. Obsessed. That has been the coolest thing because these, you know, women will come to the signings and they, they bring me the books. I'm like, oh, it's nice to meet you. And these big burly men are like, and my name's Carl. And I, I read, and Carl, yeah, I'm reading it with her. I'm like, awesome. You are awesome. Love like, you, Carl. Yeah, like who doesn't want to read a book with their husband and like or their partner and and have that like and have that connection. So I think seeing all the the partners that are reading it all together is really it really blows me away. That's really cute. And I, I've seen in interviews you describe yourself as a, a hopeless romantic, something that I can like yeah. kind of identify with as well, with a good fusion of being adequately jaded. Um, but I think what you've done so amazingly and perhaps what's so fascinating about your success is it blends these sort of like real world aches. You know, you referenced 
chronic illness before, but sets them in this mythical landscape. But they feel so real and you kind of give, you you seem to have this amazing ability to turn those pains into secret magic. And I think that's, there's something so hopeful about that in these times that we're in and in a really chaotic kind of world to try and make sense of the escapism feels like it's grounded in real heart and and real wrestles with real life things without it kind of washing away into this ethereal magic world thank you thank you um it was really important to me that that I get a chance to kind of to represent Ehlers-Danlos especially because you don't see a lot of fantasy heroines that that have chronic illness or that are weaker you see a lot of badass but it was just really important to me to get to show someone like me or uh, people that have, you know, chronic illness th- that I have be able to achieve these things because of wit and because of intelligence and not just physical strength. You see so many fantasy novels where, you know, this girl's got to learn to wield a sword and this girl's got to get out there. And I say girl because I primarily read female protagonists. Um, but you don't see a lot where, you know, where you see someone use, use their wits and, and still be able to succeed. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, what was also really like cool I personally enjoyed and Lucy um, who you met just before and I talked about a lot yeah. loved that there wasn't this moment where it was like and then she took off her glasses and she was beautiful you know like there wasn't this kind of like beautifully packaged resolve about or then she got strong again you know it was like no the struggle oh, is yeah. ongoing and there's not this superficial yeah. um, kind of end point which everything becomes okay it's it's realistic. I think um, before I wrote, wrote Fourth Wing, I went through about a, about a period of about a year where I had my first POTS flares, um, which is posterior orthostatic, orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Sorry, I stutter a little bit. Um, and vestibular migraines. And I couldn't walk like from my dining room to my kitchen without being aided. I couldn't drive. I went through MRIs and CT scans and lumbar punctures and, and legitimately thought I was dying. Oh, my God. And... It's, you know, and so coming out of that period where I have to learn what my triggers are and I have to learn, you know, what causes a flare and what doesn't cause a flare. And sometimes the flares just happen. There's no magical cure. And there's a grieving process, I think, there for people who are diagnosed with chronic illness where we realize there is no cure. There's like a, a way for us to work with physical therapy and strengthen our joints and things like that, like Violet does in the book. But we're just we're just taking every day as it comes. Yeah. And it would be completely unrealistic and really just, I think, awful to quote unquote cure. The main you know, character. Yeah. Like, of something that quintessentially makes her who she is. It's so evident when you read Violet as a character. And I, it actually touches on another point that, or question that we're interested in. Obviously you fueled a bit of that experience into of your own experience and into how you wrote Violet, how much of the other characters sort of reflect your own experience of the world or, or how many of them are based on real life kind of experiences or, or was it mostly just Violet and the rest sort of came to you? 
I mean, it's mostly Violet, and Violet is not me. I would never ever put myself <laughs> into a book because, oh, man, she just has a lot of my, um, of course, my chronic illness and how that represents in me and um, and in my four sons. And um, probably her bookish her bookishness is probably a good deal of me. But I think the other characters come to me as who they are. They're never really inspired by other people. Uh, my older sister has some Mira-like energy about her. Um, Love. I have a friend named Rachel who is just as smart as Rihanna and, and, you know, I depend on, depend on that friendship, that close friendship a lot. So there's kind of those kinds of things, but there's not really, and that I try not to bring real life people into books because that's how you hurt feelings at the dinner table. Yeah. You know, like if my mother has to look at me and be like, you said what about yeah. me in this book? And mom, it's not you. I mean, it's kind of you, but it's you. It's not you. Like, you know. The gorgeous rep of fiction. You're like, no, like you're just projecting. Like if I wrote you, it would be yeah. really different. Yeah. And there are tons of books my sister has read and she'll be like, you cannot dedicate this book to our mother. She'll think it's her. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. But um, I try not to bring real people into it, honestly. That experience is so surreal for writers I wrote a poetry book um when I was young and younger and it got published and it was so funny who came out of the woodworks and thought it was about them like it was mostly like people I'd made out with or you know like from the ghosts from the past and they people love to see themselves in these stories and perhaps that's also why your work has become so successful because you cast such a broad kind of range of characters it gives so many different people from so many different walks of life like a chance to see themselves reflected back mm, thank you and one congratulations on your book oh, <laughs> like, this is about me yuck <laughs> parts of no you totally we can, we can discuss you all day I am so much more comfortable talking about other people than I ever would be about myself you and me both I, I always end up talking about my husband I did like an interview in the BBC and my publisher was like you talked about your husband the whole time and didn't promote the book I'm like my bad um <laughs> But my husband leaks into a lot of the like the heroes. So there are certain aspects of Zayden that are definitely like that I, I find in my husband or I see in my husband. But I think because I've been in love with the same man since I was 19 wow. and, we, you know, we've been married forever and ever and ever. Um, he just kind of leaks in there on accident. Yeah, because but through that's, osmosis that's, of living, I guess. It is. And what and the qualities I find attractive in men are very much represented in my husband naturally. So, but that's, that's really about it. But I'm glad people can see themselves represented. Um, I worked really hard to try and make as inclusive of a world as possible. I think you did a really great job. So congratulations on that. This is turning into like a real cute girl crushing conversation. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> I wanted to also kind of talk about the female characters and you talk about writing through somewhat of a feminist lens and a relationship mm-hmm. that springs to mind is is between Violet and Rhiannon and that was like really cute to watch and I l- loved how there was really no jealousy from the beginning which I think is a trap that like two female characters can fall into you know like jealous of someone falling in love or their physical performance and we were at a dinner the other night and I was sitting next to someone who was talking to me about fourth wing and her name was Rhiannon. And she was just like, I became obsessed and I'm so like her. And it was such an uncanny moment. But I think I, what I was interested in as well is like, how hard is it to kind of uphold a feminine feminist lens on something when you're writing into romance, because we're so conditioned to like quite heteronormative and potentially patriarchal views of of love and romance. Was that something that you had to wrestle with or did it come quite naturally? 
I think um, the way I look at feminism is, is equality, right? Equality between the genders. And one, I do love the friendship between Violet and Rhee. I think it's it's one of the best parts of Fourth Wing and an Iron Flame and the maturity in their relationship and uh, the way they depend upon each other and support each other and cheer each other on and the way they both need each other. Uh, when writing romance in a feminist lens, to me, it's more about equality and what makes a healthy relationship and what doesn't. Where are you growing? Where are you not? Who is it, who is establishing their boundaries and who is violating those boundaries? Does that make sense? Yeah. So kind of, I mean, I'm all for if, if you enjoy reading dark romance or if you enjoy reading romance where you know what the trigger warnings are, I'm, I'm never going to shame anybody for what they read or what they enjoy. In Fourth Wing, I just wanted to make sure that there's no sexual violence yeah, there's never a threat of sexual violence that women and men and um, non-binary, non-binary people are treated completely equally. Now, you, you might get dogged on if, if if you lose a challenge or if you're not as smart or if uh, you're not as physically capable, of course, on the mat. But it's never about gender. Yeah, and looking at Zayden and Violet's relationship, where you have a power dynamic is really in his rank versus hers. Yeah, and his power versus hers. But I always try to make sure that we have consent and that it's wholeheartedly given and that both characters discuss men and men and women and non-binary people discuss their own boundaries and what they're comfortable with and that we, we stay within those. Yeah. Wow. And that's no easy feat, you know, to do that in a mythical world as well. So there's so much for you to sort of juggle there and it, and it really translates in the in the text as well. Lucy and I were talking about how many cliffhangers you have in this book like it feels we were saying that it feels like the way you've written it has been written for the internet generation because we're so attention like our attention adult brains are like craving Mm -hmm. really quick fixes constantly and so it was almost like each page was a cliffhanger every three pages you're like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh and um was that something you were intentionally crafting? I think it's really an interesting reflection of our kind of online lives now. And it was really interesting to see their attention span sort of reflected back in a book. Absolutely. So I wrote Fourth Wing really to bring people into fantasy who don't normally read fantasy, which is why, you know, you don't have a first chapter of just exposition and this is the setting and this is the layout and this is how this world works and this is how this. You are dropped immediately into Violet's perspective immediately on the day of the inciting incident where she is starting the story and she's about to walk the parapet. And I think that, you know, we our, our attention spans are I think I think are shrieking due to video content due to how quickly we scroll as soon as we're bored right so I knew that I had to immediately grasp the reader and that each chapter needed to leave it to where they needed to turn the next page so that's part of craft and storytelling I think as we you know as we evolve as people so knowing that our generation and how we are right now has a shorter attention span I need to make sure that I'm keeping. I'm keeping the reader's attention. And also if I get bored, chances are the reader's bored <laughs> and I need to go back and kind of think, mm, that doesn't need to be there. So, and it doesn't hurt that everything is so action driven in those, you know, in those beginning chapters. Yeah. You just wield a sword and something, some like kind of, there will be something that happens after that as a result, right? What do you make of book talk in, in the whole social media internet book world? Gosh, I think there's two sides to it. Um, 
one, I'm not really on TikTok. I wasn't really on TikTok before this all started. I kind of would go and just kind of drop whatever informa- information I needed to, and then I would Run. skedaddle and leave. Right. Because I used to do I used to do TikTok um, as like a quick dopamine hit. You're so, welcome. Because I have – safe here. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, I have ADHD and attentive type, right? So I would get on there and I'd be like, cat video, hamster video, highland cow video, um, and it would just make me feel happy. And I think that was how I used TikTok. And then TikTok, when BookTok gets involved, one, I think it is one of the last reader-driven spaces we have. Yeah. So you can't, as a publisher, really, I mean, you can, I think maybe, I think you can pay people for collaborations. I've never done that, so I don't know. Um, But you can pay people for collaborations, I think. But other than that, there's no ad space. Like publishers can buy up all the ad space on Goodreads and on Facebook and everywhere else, right? But but talk is genuinely word of mouth. Who likes what? Who doesn't like what? And it's a very reader-driven space. Then there's the aspect of it that when you get sucked into that vortex and you become, you know, what the videos are about that um, that require me to get the heck off it. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Goodreads. I don't belong on Goodreads. I would always joke that like it's the shadowy place, Simba. We don't go there because that's a very reader, like a reader centered market. And I don't belong there. Reviews aren't for me. They are for readers. So I I don't belong on Goodreads. And I realized that I think it was as I was writing Iron Flame and Fourth Wing was cutting out, I would scroll through like at night, just getting ready to go to sleep. And it would be like, you know, boom, cat video, boom, I hate your book, boom, I love your book, boom, horse video, boom, I love your book, I love your book, I hate your book. And it was, holy cow, it really, I was not prepared. Nothing in my career had prepared me for it. And so retreating was the safest option for my mental health. But I love that it is a space where readers can say what they love and that books that are indie published and books by uh, marginalized authors can really get picked up and driven there without publishers. No, we so like empathize with the shadowy sides of the internet and it's been a particularly a really challenging year for that precise thing as well. And I think as an author, a lot of authors talk about when their books come out into the wild and you you lose control over it, it sort of crystallizes into its own shape. Mm -hmm. Can't imagine what that experience would have been like because of how viral your book went and just completely losing control of the conversation and I obviously there were accusations or discussions around use of AI and how can she write the book so (laughs) fast and you handled that amazingly but how was that to you? It is I think the the AI accusation at first it cracked me up (laughs) because I I'm like wait people can use AI to write books and then I mean I've never touched anything to do with AI unless you're talking about like spell check in Word. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, so I've I've never used AI writing software. And at first it cracked me up. Then it kind of insulted me. Then I just, I, I had to get to this place where I felt like I was getting hit left and right because when you, you fly up that high, gosh, you feel like Icarus. Just, you just really feel like Icarus. I bloody bit. If you do, I, I had to have this discussion with my husband and, um, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. I called Colleen Hoover in like tears. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Everyone, like, I just want people to stop talking about me. And, um, 
I kind of got to a place where I'm not there yet, but I have to evolve to where I'm okay with people saying what they want about me, even if it isn't true, and me not having to expend my energy to rise to my defense. And that's a one, I think my husband's like, that's the power move. And I'm like, two, that's the sanity move. Yeah. I I I can't possibly address every single thing people come out with. But the AI thing, it cracked me up. Cause no, absolutely not. I locked myself away for months writing those books. Like just just, you know, I don't want to say ask my children because I'd like people <laughs> to stay away from my children. But uh no, I I wrote all of Fourth Wing and an iron flame. Oh my gosh, yes. With no help from a computer other than Microsoft Word and Excel. <laughs> okay. Are you are you Word? Are you do you use Sheet like Google or are you full Microsoft Word? No, I'm I'm old school. I'm full Microsoft Word. I, I am. Um I back up every day. My editor's always like, what do you mean? You're not constantly backing up. Um I back <laughs> I need up. to see your person live. I, no, I think she's just scared that I'll lose it. She's scared yeah. that I'll be like, oh, I just lost twenty thousand words. Um <gasps> I write no. maybe millions of other people at this point too. <laughs> it, it happened to me with the very first book I wrote. I was writing this book and I lost it. And then I didn't write again for five no. years until I wrote my oh debut. My yeah, it was, it, it's really hard. But no, I write in Microsoft Word. Um, I change the doc name every day. Do you? So I, yeah. So I have different versions of my doc all the way through. So if I realize that I really liked the way I had something that was going, I can go back and actually pull that back. Um yeah modern day witchery it's oh, I don't know it's more <laughs> like I'm too like I, I'm too old and stuck in my ways to learn the new hotness of of writing software but I'm just Microsoft Word and an Excel document and a whiteboard that's love that that's it and a good thesaurus <laughs> um hey this has gone so quick we're at half an hour so we promised that we wouldn't take too much of your time because you've got to go and write more best-selling books and change oh, people's lives <laughs> but honestly thank you so much it's been such a joy talking to you and um I hope this hasn't felt like oh my god another bloody interview to talk about the no. same thing you guys um, are the last of my year actually you're the last interview I'm we? doing I know oh my god I hope you go and celebrate after this you're well, like no one ask me anymore <laughs> I think I'm just gonna put on a cup of coffee and sink into this other book I'm writing and I'm trying to think about dragons for 10 days but yeah no you guys have been lovely and I can't thank you enough for oh, having me a pleasure a joy our bookies are absolutely obsessed with you and um thank you <laughs> I love what really enjoyed um hearing about your writing process Lucy and I are writing a book that's coming up in July next year that's like a um, a non-fiction collection but it's very uh, we're calling it a collage because there are so many different moving pieces to it so your sort of crime scene investigation technique was really interesting to hear about that's so fun congratulations you'll have to tell me when it comes out oh my god cute would love and if we're ever around if you're ever in Lisbon which is where we're live beaming you in from or I don't know maybe our dragons will cross <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I think I'm I'm traveling, gosh, I think in the fall again. I have a couple travel dates coming up, but I'm super excited to stay home for I bet. a hot minute. I bet. Oh, I hope you have a gorgeous rest. And thank once you. again, thank you for your time and congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, guys.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.